Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another edition of After Hours with Tifo and Luby. Jeff DeForest along with Mike Luby Lubitz here on the Believe Podcast Networks. And uh, I guess you could title this one conspiracy or coincidence as we have a very special guest about to join us here on the program, but I I couldn't help but think this uh, watching the playoff games over the weekend with great interest and uh, certain monetary considerations are in play. Also, I can assure you people, of course. And okay. So, uh, you know, we we get to the game where uh, Dallas is playing San Francisco and Nance and Tony Romo are in a posh confines. I think they were actually broadcasting the game from Jerry Jones box. (laughs) In fact, I, I think it was Nance that put the electrodes on Jerry Jones' head to relieve his anxiety. It looked like the game was hopelessly out of reach oh, until uh, it got kind of dicey uh, a little bit late. All right, so uh, I'm watching that, and, and I'm thinking, and I, I like Tony Romo in the beginning, but Tony Romo, uh, you know that every every uh, lowest-level employee in the mailroom at CBS is holding up the Romo contract now and, and going, what, $18 million? Guy sounds like Mike Mayock meeting a homeless man. He's rambling. Uh, what is he saying? Okay, so you see that going on, and you're thinking, did they have anything to do with the fact that Ian Eagle and Charles Davis, the most distinguished number two broadcast team in network television history. Yeah, history. I would say history, yeah. And pushing hard. I mean, uh, you know, they have to be hearing footsteps. But but was it by design or just mere coincidence that they were outside in Buffalo <laughs> In seven-degree <laughs> temperatures, which was an exaggeration, and they had to broadcast from the auxiliary press box, yeah, exactly. which every schlep from Batavia to Tonawanda, you know, that had a press credential was sitting inside. And there's Ian Eagle and Charles Davis doing the game outside. We welcome to the show Ian Eagle to try to get to the bottom of this. Ian, conspiracy or coincidence that you guys were outside in the frigid cold there? As if uh, you were watching Chuck Mercine carry the rock there in the ice ball at Lambeau. <laughs> he was back to yes. How are you, Mike? What, what a what a lead in! I, did, <laughs> I don't I don't deserve it. I don't deserve that kind of lead in. Yeah, you do. That, that's special. Yeah, I I do think I do think there are people out there that that wondered did Charles and I appear as if we were in the movie Spies Like Us that we just got sent out. And that we were going to be wearing Russian hats at some point. <laughs> there, uh, there was there was legitimate concern of mine. I must say, in the third quarter, that my law my my jaw was going to lock up, oh, and geez. and I was not going to be able. Yeah, like legitimate stuff during the game. Where I, mean, I I don't know if I can get the words to come out the way that I need them to. And we got through it. it. It all worked out. But I, I do have a little bit of PTSD this week for whatever reason. Like it wasn't even that cold in New Jersey. And I went outside. And I was like, oh, I got it. And I walked out. We're all good now, though. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was great. He kept I, I referencing. Like when, they look warm down there. Yeah. <laughs> I like when they put up the picture of DiCaprio as a frozen, uh, frozen fish stick yes. at the end of Titanic. <laughs> And, and they said, let's go to a shot in the booth there. Uh, you, know, was, you know, Al Michaels isn't sitting outside. Uh, so uh, how did that come about? I mean, uh, w- w- was the lunch better in the auxiliary press box? What, what was the deal? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because I've, I've gotten this question now a few times of, don't the windows close? Couldn't you just keep the windows closed? And <laughs> we could. We could. But 
here's the way I looked at it. It wasn't even a debate within our own broadcast crew. We didn't even talk about the possibility of that. If, if this goes down as one of the coldest games in NFL history and 20 years go by, it's now uh, the year 2042. And someone says to me, hey, Ian, did you work that Buffalo-New England playoff game? <laughs> and I say, yeah, yeah, I, I worked that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they say, well, how cold was it? I don't know. We uh, we closed the windows. It was toasty. <laughs> it was toasty. Doesn't make for a good story. Like that's not that's not doing your job to the best of your ability. So in my mind, this wasn't even a debate. Uh, we had to keep the windows open. We had to at least experience the elements and be able to report on the game. That's the whole point. Is to to convey the emotion of the event and the accuracy yes. of the event. So it, it wasn't even uh, up for question in, in our eyes. All right, a couple of things uh, come to mind. Uh, you, of course, being a Syracuse guy like I am, although I was there in the Stone Age when Ben Schwartzwalder was watching Rich Transition <laughs> throw picks when he realized that the forward pass was legal after 47 years on the bench there uh, as the coach of the team. But uh, before the Carrier Dome, there was Archibald Stadium. Yeah, And I would say this, that even just traveling to the quad, maybe for uh, final exams first semester, Iron Eagle, and, and having to enter one of the buildings there, uh, you are more than conditioned to being in extreme cold. I, I don't know if it quite matched what you experienced there, having to sit out there for uh, three and a half hours in Buffalo. But, uh, you know, yeah. you're no stranger to cold, having gone to the Q's. No, but, but Defoe, I don't know what your experience was like. And, and this might surprise people, but I'm going to lay it, to you straight. I get right. into Syracuse my senior year of high school. I live in New York. That's where I grew up in Queens. And I'm telling people, hey, I'm going to Syracuse. I'm going to Syracuse. And some people would say, oh, that's cold like you've never experienced before. And my reaction yeah. was, ah, I'm from New York. Come on. I can handle it. It's not a problem. So I get up there and September's nice, really nice. <laughs> and October is gray, very gray. And November is grayer, and it's starting to get cold, and it's starting to get raw. And then December hits, and I remember vividly, I was living at Flint Hall, which was out on the top of right. Mount Olympus, and you take this stairwell down to get to the quad. And as you exit the stairwell, it's an indoor stairwell, covered stairwell, the wind hits your face. And you feel pain like you've never felt before on your way to class. And I realized at that moment that the only way to remedy this problem was to not go to class. That was go. the determination that I made. Oh, you fit right in with if us. I don't go, I won't feel that. So then that a lot. second semester, when I basically get a blue Tarski, I realized I've got to come up with another plan. <laughs> and, and I did, I, I did, I did lean into it. And uh, you're right for that time at, at Syracuse, you just do what you have to do. You're all in it together. But many years have passed. Yeah. I graduated in 1990. I, yeah. I was not, I was not mentally or physically prepared uh, quite like I should have been. I was not conditioned the way that you thought I should have been for Orchard Park. The great Ian Eagle with us here on After Hours with Defoe and Luby. Jeff DeForest, Mike Luby Lubitz on the Believe Podcast Networks. All right, there was a game there, and yes. what was amazing oh, yeah. was, yes. uh, well, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, Buffalo uh, never missed a beat there. They scored on seven straight drives, touchdowns, 
Josh Allen looked great. Uh, the game plan was brilliant. Uh, Brian Dayball uh, probably got himself any number of head coaching offers uh, already sealed up and delivered, as opposed to maybe Kellen Moore, who uh, may be uh, coaching in the CFL <laughs> as a head coach before he gets an NFL job after running the ball on uh, with 14 seconds to go in a game right up the middle of the field. But uh, the Bills look sensational, and, and you know a lot of people like to rip Belichick. I still think he's, uh, you know, the greatest of all time, uh, especially with what he was able to, uh, you know, persist with uh, in terms of excellence throughout, you know, very difficult and challenging times as compared to, say, the yeah. Lombardi or George Allen in terms of just keeping personnel together and, and assembling a team and keeping uh, any kind of consistency going. So, I, I mean, Belichick doesn't get trounced like that. He doesn't get his uh, face uh, rubbed in the... Uh, you know, the dog do uh, like that uh, very often anytime, much less in a playoff game. So, I mean, I, I, it was overwhelmingly impressive. What, what, was it a fluke? Can we expect more of the same from Buffalo? Because they seem to be coming into that game on a bit of a roll, whereas uh, the New England Patriots were, were kind of sliding back to the pack a little bit. Yeah, no fluke, uh, complete beatdown. Uh, this was uh, a convergence of a lot of things happening at once. Buffalo, the better team. Uh, Josh Allen, complete command. Every time that he touched the ball, you thought something positive was going to happen. And it was a similar feeling that I had two years ago with Patrick Mahomes when he went on uh, the MVP run. And you just thought, this guy can do no wrong. Uh, I think the other part, too, uh, the Bills, they went through their little rut, came out the other side, and knew that they were the better team. Knew that they had more talent, knew that they had better chemistry. Defensively, uh, they just keep coming up big. Uh, That interception was among the the better highlights I've seen this season. Micah Hyde sliding in for the pick in the first quarter with New England driving down the field, and that's all she wrote. That game was over at that point. Bills go down, score a touchdown, take a 14-0 lead, and we knew that New England was not going to be able to win in a track meet against Buffalo. So I think it's just their time and the standard in which New England has held up for all these years, not just in the league because they've been the best franchise, but think about it. In the division, you're the Buffalo Bills, and every time you look up, even if you feel okay about your team, you realize, oh, wait, we can't compete with what Bill Belichick has got going with the Patriots. Tom Brady is no longer there. Mac Jones had a excellent rookie season, something to build on, uh, something to feel good about. But they didn't play well down the stretch, lost three of their last four, and got completely dominated in this game in Buffalo. And there was a release. You could feel it from the crowd. The windows were open, so I could actually feel it. And the Bills fans celebrated because the win meant something. Not just a playoff win, not just uh, an offensive record-setting performance, but to do it against the patch in that setting, 71,000 at home. A year ago, they had 6,000 people in the stands because of the protocols. Uh, it was pretty special. And I know for, for that town, that area, for that franchise, they think it's just a stop along the way. If, indeed, the Bills achieve what they think they can achieve, guys, they're going to look back at that game as one of those real important moments, reflecting points where you say, yep, that's when we knew this team was for real. We're talking to the man who gets our NFL playoff action started this weekend. He'll be on the call 
of the Cincinnati Bengals heading to the Tennessee Titans on CBS 430 this upcoming Saturday. Ian Eagle, the guy who at some point, Jim Nance, I think he'll just move out of the way because, I mean, we know it's coming. So, uh, Ian, man, I want to ask you, and you just alluded to the Buffalo Bills and if they make that journey. Well, it seems like their toughest test, at least in the AFC, at least Defoe and I have sort of agreed on this, is this weekend, the Kansas City Chiefs. And you talked about the guy two years ago that just seemed to have everything under control. That guy, Patrick Mahomes, is sort of forgotten now. <laughs> People have just written them off, even though the Chiefs have played really well the last, like, two months to three months of the season. What are your yeah. thoughts on the Chiefs? You saw the Bills up close. I know you've seen the Chiefs, I'm sure, this season. Everyone's just sort of steamrolling with the Bills. To me, it feels like the Chiefs are in a weird role for them, the underdog, which I think they may relish. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a condiment guy, so I'm not going uh, <laughs> to agree with you on that. But I know your point, and I see your yeah, point. Yeah. It's funny. I, I had the Chiefs fairly early in the season where they were still winning games against teams they were supposed to be, Philadelphia, Washington. Yeah. But they weren't doing it convincingly. So we knew something was amiss. Offense wasn't crisp. Defense at that point was really struggling. And then – it all hit the fan against Tennessee and Charles and I worked that game. And that was the low point of the season. Uh, that's when you thought, Oh wow, something's broken. And from that point on, they got their act together. And then the offense started getting back in gear. Is it as prolific as it was during the Super Bowl run? No, probably not, but still very good and very potent. And then defensively, they actually showed some some real progress and signs that they could compete at the highest level and maybe this defense would be enough for them to, to get to the Super Bowl. And then towards the end of the season, right at the end, you thought, mm, uh, that defense still gives me pause. Last week in the playoff game, uh, they were tremendous offensively. And now the question to me is still going to be there. Are they good enough defensively to go tit for tat with the Buffalo Bills? And you have to give the Bills defense the advantage in this matchup. If this is indeed going to be one of those up-and-down-the-field type of games, then Buffalo believes their offense can handle it, and they think their defense can be opportunistic and come up with a big play when necessary. So uh, advantage to me goes to Buffalo. I know Kansas City has the home field. Both teams went through slumps during the season. Buffalo had their own problems, but they came out the other side feeling really good about their squad and and to me they're the most balanced team going right now in the AFC wow the great Ian Eagle with us here on After Hours with Defoe and Luby on the Believe Podcast Networks uh, I'm not sure if you got involved in this uh, directly I, I don't know how many Francesa tapes you might have had to bury during your days at WFAN where uh, he had said certain things and then the exact opposite transpired maybe shortly after the statements were made but in, yeah. in Luby's case, I, I don't know uh, what you would recommend. Uh, we, we're thinking maybe a Delaunted drip because his worst fear is that Ryan Tannehill carries a team to a Super Bowl yes. after he and, and many like him, including I, I don't know that I was adamant that he could never do it, but uh, yeah. that was all he ever heard around South Florida. Well, this guy will never take a team to a Super Bowl. What do you think? I'll hang up and listen. And you know how that goes. And uh, but Luby was the most emphatic about it. Yes. So um, is there any chance, in your opinion, with Derrick Henry coming back? And then, by the way, uh, Ian Eagle, uh, when did they sign Jim Brown to be the backup for Derrick Henry? <laughs> Whoever that guy is is a Seriously. monster. But um, yeah. do they have a chance? I mean, in your opinion, uh, they're the 
According to an article I was reading in the Post this morning, they are the least respected team, number one seed since, like, uh, they invented number one seeds. So uh, what is your thought there? Is it possible with Henry coming back that Tennessee is being completely overlooked uh, by the pundits that uh, try to predict who's going to end up in the big one? Yeah, first, in regards to Luby, uh, he's not the, the first talk show host to fall victim to this. You make a statement, and then for the rest of your life, you root yeah. against that person because you don't want to be yes. proven wrong. Oh my like Ryan Tannehill is a nice guy. He's a class act. Yeah. He's had a great second chapter yeah. with the Tennessee Titans. He's rebuilt his career, yet there's Luby in his basement. <laughs> yes. With, with like a, a small doll. Yeah. little doll, yes, sticking needles into the neck of Ryan Tannehill just because he doesn't want his original statement to come back to haunt him. And we've all exactly. been there. That's the yeah. thing. Like you can't, you can't get away from it, and it becomes very personal. Yeah. Like there's no reason, there's no logical, yeah. rational reason for Mike to hate Ryan Tannehill. Zero. He's done nothing wrong. He was nice. I met him before. He was nice. Correct. And yet you still had these feelings of rage, <laughs> yes. which it, you may you may need to seek some form of treatment at Probably this point. I, it, you need to talk to a professional. I, I can't help you. It's beyond my pay grade at this Fine. point. Uh, the second part, yeah, Diesel, yeah. you're right. There There is not a lot of buzz about Tennessee as a number one seed. Mike Grabel probably will win Coach of the Year, and he should. This team was 6-2 and two with Derrick Henry, who was playing at an MVP level. He leaves the, the, the roster because of the broken foot, and they go 6-3 and three the rest of the way. Tremendous coaching job. Deontay Foreman, the player that you alluded to, uh, they got contributions from him. They got contributions from Dontrell Hilliard. And here they are as a one seed, yet nobody's really talking about them. Henry coming back could change not just their team, could change the whole playoff picture in the AFC. He's that good. How much of Derrick Henry are they going to go with in this game? Do they go tentative or do they just let it rip and let Henry wear down this Cincinnati defense? I know most people going into the weekend are looking at the matchups as the varsity matchup and then the JV matchup. I obviously am not looking at it that way. I'm calling the game on CBS. I think it's a really fun matchup. Cincinnati has got that it factor. And Joe Burrow, he believes that this team is going to accomplish big things. They won a playoff game last week for the first time in 31 years, and everybody was ready to celebrate. And the town of Cincinnati uh, certainly uh, looked at it as a breakthrough moment. Joe Burrow handled it the way that you would want your starting quarterback to handle it. He said, Get used to it. This is going to happen a lot. That's uh, a confident attitude, borderline cocky, but in a good way. And every time that we've met with Burrow, I've walked away more and more impressed with his presence, and I can see why guys follow him. I can absolutely see why they believe in this guy. He's got that swag. He's got that vibe, and he's got that, that command and control that you look for in that position. Jamar Chase, a uh, pretty good find yeah, for this guy. So and, uh, <laughs> nice connection. Uh, as outstanding as uh, any we've seen come into the league uh, in a long, long time. And, you know, you're looking at it just uh, thinking this is just the beginning. Uh, all right, there's always uh, a lot of buzz. And we ended up uh, here in South Florida being a part of it uh, with the coaching carousel and what uh, seemed at the time like a surprising uh, dumping of Brian Flores when everybody was pointing the fic 
uh, fickle finger of uh, fate uh, at Chris Greer, thinking uh, his job yep. was toast before Florence would ever be let go, who, who had actually accomplished a lot with, with very little. I mean, they literally gave this guy like leftover dreck uh, to work with. And, uh, you know, in, in defiance of that, uh, he was winning games the first year. Uh, nearly took him to the postseason the subsequent two years. Uh, I, I don't know that they ever really found any star-laden roster to uh, give to this guy. But uh, as you look at these uh, situations, I mean, which seems the most dysfunctional? Uh, as uh, I mean, we have like seven openings. Uh, it seems like the same names always circulate. There were a couple of new guys thrown in, coordinators into the mix. But, um, I mean, who do you think is in a situation that, that looks the most chaotic to you? Well, the thing that I've realized in, in doing this job all these years, you think you know things because you read the newspapers, you read the internet, you listen to sportscasts, you listen to talk radio, and narratives are formed. And the reality is, behind the scenes, oftentimes we don't know, and we're not privy to what the dynamic is. So in Miami, anyone that looked at their situation looked at Coach Flores and said, wow, they're on the upswing. This guy's a great coach, and he's got a real understanding of what it takes to win in the NFL, and they're just on the brink here. If they get him some more players, they're going to win a bunch of games. He gets fired, and now the spin comes from both sides, mostly from the Dolphins' side, of course, but a little bit here and there. And you start to realize that, okay, the coach and the owner didn't seem to have the best of relationships. And ultimately, the owner makes the decision. The owner and the GM seem to have a close relationship. They talk every day. He keeps them updated on what's going on. And that shapes the whole interpersonal dynamic within the building. And some things now get out. How do they get out? Someone starts talking. Well, a coach wasn't talking to the other coaches. He wasn't connecting with people in the building. And now that becomes a tag, and that becomes part of your reputation. You know, the cleanest ones where both sides agree, hey, this isn't working, let's move on, uh, oftentimes you don't get any of the, the funny business from behind the scenes. This one wasn't as clean. He's going to coach again in this league. He's going to get a job right away. I think he's well-respected. He certainly, when you talk to him, has a presence and can understand why he would be a leader in a locker room. The Dolphins, uh, the same questions are going to pop up. What's the direction? What are you doing with Tua? Uh, how do you step into that situation and win consistently if there isn't trust within the walls uh, of that facility? So uh, there's some concern there with Miami. And that's why when you become a hot coaching candidate, you've got to really be smart and pick and choose the right spot, the right place. Jacksonville, it blew up. Yep. It blew up. Yep. None of it worked. It was it was doomed from, from the very start, seemingly. Uh, we can look around. The Raiders, uh, to me, there's talent there, but again, the power structure. Who's making the decision? How are those decisions made? You know, I think they want a big name. He wants to make a splash. So every situation is different. The Miami situation, while attractive, will bring some concerns with it based on what just happened. You can't pretend and dismiss that it didn't happen. The way that ended was very ugly by NFL standards. Well, I, and that's why I love talking to you because you 
grew up a fan. You were a part of this side of things and radio. You, yep. you cover the game for a long time. You're, you're, you don't throw anyone on the bus, but you're honest. Like, and you get to a purview. You get to sit down with all these people pretty much and have one-on-ones. And I'm, I presume they're pretty honest with you. And you've been in New York, so you've seen great ownership. And what you do stuff with the Jets, with the Knicks. Um, like, I, to me, we've seen this story over and over again with Ross, with Snyder, with like these owners where they worry more about personal relationships and feeling good about themselves than about winning. And to me, at some point, it has to come to a head. We've seen it finally with Cincinnati where they worry more about a good coach than feeling good. You know, like Arizona, if, yeah. it seems like maybe they've turned a corner where they're not, the owner is sort of getting out of the way. Like, as you know this game, how can an organization get better when the owner is more worried about how the coach treats him and how he treats his players. Yeah, no, it, it's a huge problem. I got the Nets job in 1994. At that point, they had seven different owners, <laughs> dubbed by Peter Vesey, the Secaucus Seven. And I met all of them. I met all of them. Yeah, it was a great line, great line by Vesey. Yeah. I met each of them, and all of them were successful in their respective businesses to get to that point. And none of them were, were billionaires. It wasn't like that. They were just all successful guys that came together and bought the team. And guess what? All of them were different. All of them had different opinions. All of them went to different country clubs. And they would hear stuff from the guy in the locker next to him. Hey, yeah, you, you should get rid of Benoit Benjamin. You know what? Good idea. And that's the stuff that was happening. And it's no shock that the team couldn't get out of its own way. Eventually, the team was sold. Uh, they acquired Jason Kidd. That changed things. And they gave control to Rod Thorne. And once Rod Thorne took control, he didn't give it up. <laughs> he was in charge. And he made it very clear, if I'm going to leave the NBA league office, I'm only going to do it if I have final say. And ultimately, I think that's what has to happen, where an owner recognizes that this is not his area of expertise. I have to hire someone who's sharp, who gets it, and will take over the Nets now. Sean Marks was given complete control by Mikhail Prokhorov. He sells the team to Joe Sy, and Joe Sy says to Sean Marks, hey, you're in charge. I'm learning. I want to learn. I'm curious. I'm naturally curious, but I don't know basketball. You make the decision. So that, to me, is, is the secret sauce. You've got to find someone that you really trust in that position, that can be brutally honest with you and you can have those kinds of candid conversations and not just someone that's going to tell you what you want to hear to make sure that the back page headline or the sports radio radio narrative is going to benefit you and you're going to be okay when you show up to your party or to your country club. These people are all highly successful. And yet when you own a sports team, it goes all the way down to the lowest common denominator. A fan on the street can scream something at you because they're upset. You open yourself up to that kind of criticism once you decide this is the business I want to be in. And by the way, it's all fair game. You have to accept that as part of the deal. Ian Eagle with us here on After Hours with Tifo and Luby. Jeff DeForest, Mike Luby, Lubitz Believe Podcast Network. So I, I couldn't help but think of uh, my favorite owner of all time in sports, and that would be John Spano 
the guy that bought the Islanders, <laughs> even though he didn't own the shirt on his back. Correct. <laughs> it, took, it took him a while to realize what a story. that. And finally had yeah. the security throw him out of the suite. He was in the middle of eating a five-pound Maine lobster that was served to him by a woman who was wearing pasties and a G-string there at the Nassau Coliseum. It was nuts. absolutely yeah, fantastic. Yeah, completely nuts. All right, uh, a serious question here for you, Ian Eagle, and you're always very generous with your time. Uh, we didn't really even get into the NFC thing, but uh, uh, nonetheless, I, I did want to uh, bring this up to you because I was curious to get an opinion on this. Uh, you'll find it surprising, uh, but an argument uh, ensued in a bar after this topic was brought up, uh, a sports topic, and uh, we, we really couldn't decide the answer. So I said, you know what, Ian Eagle's coming on our show tomorrow. I'll ask him, and, and that would be uh, and going back to uh, the great New York Jet, uh, Chief Wahoo McDaniel. Uh, Mike Daniels, um, was he, should he be better known as a football player or as a professional wrestler, in your opinion? <laughs> this was an argument if you went grown adult. Uh, there's money riding on this. I, I don't want to put oh a lot God. of pressure on you, man. And I don't want to see you out in the cold again. Uh, you know, Nancy yeah, no, no worries. That, uh, he's going to pull some, you know, some uh, heavyweight move uh, there, you know, to protect Romo from Charles Davis yeah. taking over his spot. Unbelievable. Yeah, no, good point. I I, I give only honest answers. I, I don't beat around the bush. I tell you what I believe. And I think that's the only way to go through life. So yeah. you're asking me, I don't even know which side you're on. I'm just going to tell you what I feel. Yes. Exactly. Yes. I see him as a wrestler. Wow. Well, see, there you go. You're with me on this. Yeah, and and I took a lot of yeah. a lot of flack yesterday. <laughs> uh, you know, many people, dissidents that were on the other side. I mean, lining up like it was a Trump campaign for 2024. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it, was, it was insane. But, but, yeah, I mean, he was okay. He was a good football player. But as a professional yeah. wrestler, I mean, he, he was up there with the great Sam Martino and Monsoon. No, I, I didn't even think twice about it. You have to react in the moment, whatever strikes you in the moment when you're asked a question of that, of that level. And yeah. that was, that, that, that spoke to me. And uh, to yeah. me, it's, it's wrestler over football player. So I'm with you. You obviously had many drinks in you. I am sober at this point. <laughs> Who would even remember? The credibility. Right. Except exactly. a drunk. Yeah. <laughs> An old drunk. And I'm sure that question won't come up on any of your other I, uh, promotional I interviews for the game here. <laughs> no, no. No, I have six, I have six other uh, interviews lined up for today. I do not believe that will pop up ever again in my life. In fact. <laughs> We love you, Ian. Thanks for being with us we here on After Hours. I uh, love you guys. Love you guys. Always great talking to you. Be well, Ian. All right. Ian Eagle, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to be doing that game, Tennessee and Cincinnati. And, uh, wow, Tennessee, Cincinnati. Interesting ball game, no question. I mean, I, I don't know that anybody's overwhelmingly excited about either of those two teams as being the eventual champion except the people in that city that might have had a futures bet that they figured <laughs> it was going to be impossible to cash. Imagine this. If you had bet every year, you know how some guys do this? Uh, they'll bet like $100 every year, whatever the odds are on their team to win. Yeah, yeah, uh, Whatever the, uh, you know, corresponding championship is. So imagine you've been betting $100 a year on the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs to win the Stanley Cup. Their last Stanley Cup win was in 1967, I believe. Jesus. So that's uh, 33 plus 21. That's 54 years ago. So you're out 5,400. <laughs> You know, you better be getting phenomenal odds. I, I guess you could make it back in one fell swoop, uh, which is why uh, gambling is, is always going to be king. All right. Uh, our thanks to Ian Eagle for joining us here on the show. And then we'll do it again tomorrow here on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for uh, spreading the word. Uh, we're also on ION Channel 
And uh, you can Google the Defo Show uh, as we do a couple of hours uh, every day. And uh, tomorrow we'll feature our Degenerate Friday show where we have world-class handicapper and world championship handicapper Mark Lawrence, who just the theories alone are, are, are oh, worth yeah. tuning into. So uh, find that Google the Defo Show. That's D-E-F-O. And you can catch uh, some of our other work that's out there on uh, the Internet and the uh, world of uh, streaming and audio. Well, and speaking of tomorrow, uh, right here on the Bleed Pod. Network after hours, we will talk with another one of our favorites, a man that has us laughing hysterically. Len oh, yeah. Robbins will make a return appearance to after. Oh, great! So, we're gonna have him tomorrow here on Belief. All right, uh, thanks, Diane Eagle. Always a hoot, man. The guy's great, he's yes. brilliant at what he does, and he's brilliant uh, as an interview subject because uh, he just uh, always brings it to the table. So, thanks so much. That's what we're all about here on After Hours. For Michael Luby Lubitz, I'm Jeff DeForest. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And keep in mind, a- any time uh, of the day or night that you're in doubt about something, go Tub McGraw and say to yourself, you got to believe. Hey, folks, Tony Segretto here. You know, since day one, Catholic Health Services has been part of old school. And since we've started letting people know about them, it's changed their lives. You see, Catholic Health Services, while being recognized as one of the top places for stroke rehab in the country, it's also about a group of people who not just excel in what they do, from the doctors to the nurses to the therapists, on and on and on. It's how they do what they do every single day that separates them from the pack. They do it with a passion, unmatched, and the inclusion of family in every step of the process. Trust me when I tell you this, if you want the best unmatched rehab with a special group of skilled caring people there is truly only one place and that one place is catholic health services play the ponies in style at champions the outstanding simulcasting room at beautiful highly apart yes the grand old lady of thoroughbred racing has never been more vibrant and you can wager on the races from the top tracks around the country while enjoying a cocktail at the brass rail bar or any of the fine food served throughout the facility if poker is your game you're covered in style And you can play all your favorite Vegas-style games, including blackjack, craps, and roulette in Hylia Park's sizzling hot casino. Get a player's card when you walk through the door for all kinds of generous amenities, including our favorite, free play. When you come out to the ultimate casino and entertainment destination, Hylia Park. Recently, we realized it's not just hurricane season that can hurt us. Any time of year, things can happen to your home or business. And the insurance company can be your friend, but they also can be your enemy. Horizon Public Adjusters. Justina Testa are here for you to help this process go so much easier. Before you call the insurance company, call Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa at 954-809-8752. Would you go into court without an attorney? So why would you go up against an insurance company without Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa? Seven to ten times more money recovered with a public adjuster than if you went on your own. If there's no recovery, there's no fee, give them a call at 954 954- 809-8752. Why go up against insurance companies alone when you can have Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa on your side? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.